Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. So that's a good thing. I have God's wisdom on the matter, not a secular worldview. I have God's goodness. That's an interesting phrase. God's goodness brings about all good in my life. And why would that be? Because God's motivated by his own nature, which is good. So that means all things work together for good. Not that he worked the bad for good. He took the bad and he worked it for good. That's a good phrase. All right. Then it says God is faithful. That means I don't have to worry about God jumping like a Mexican jumping bean all over the place. That he is faithful. He's faithful to his word. So when I look at his word, that means whatever he's saying in his word is good for me, which now bleeds to the next point. I know that he works all things for good. That means every verse in this Bible, in some measure, is good for me. Why? Because every verse in this Bible, every jot and tittle, every thought in this Bible, is all inspired by God in here for me, God's mind, on paper, and is to add value to my life in some measure at some time for the glory of God. So that means even those books, I can't even pronounce the name of the prophet, are important. That means those long genealogies are important in Scripture because God takes his word, and all of that is good for for me, and it'll work good for me if I allow it to. But I went a little bit further. I found out that God's children God uses for my good. I have to tell you that um, I've had people speak a lot of affirmation in my life, and as you speak and you travel and you do things, you get a lot of attaboys, and I get that. But I also have to tell you that, you know, when you're up like this in front of everybody and everybody sees you, I'm an easy shot for all of you. Okay, if I sat out there somewhere, it'd be hard for you to shoot me, but I'm up here, you can shoot me. I don't mean with a real bullet but something that sometimes hurts even more. That's unjust criticism. Okay, so whatever that might be, that criticism that might come my way, God, watch this now, this is very important. While he might not have prescribed that issue, that, that crime, that unjust criticism, he did permit it into my life. And so therefore, I need to sit and receive what comes so that it will drive me into his word to be able to sense how true is this, how humble am I, what can I learn from this in the midst of all of this mountain of dirt, is there a diamond in there for me? Instead of just walking away from the mountain because I don't want to find the diamond, God has that for me, so he works all of it for good. Now, the real question is, is what good is this? Now, what, this is very important. The good isn't necessarily so that I would be rich and famous or that I would have the biggest church or the best marriage or any of that. All the good that God is doing in me is not necessarily made for my life here to be any better. The passage says that all this is good so that it would conform me to the person of Christ. Did you catch that? So what God wants out of my life is not so much that I'll be healthy and wealthy, What God wants for my life is that I become more and more like Christ. That when you see me, you'll be looking, watch this, not so much at how my features are, but at the character of Christ. Now, here's something for you to go home with and meditate on this phrase. Do you remember all the way back in Genesis, we call that the first mentioned principle in hermeneutics, the Bible study interpretation. The first time it's mentioned, God says, let us make man in our image. So many people go into that and think, oh, that means we have to be God, you know. No, no, in our image. What does that mean? Holy, righteous, good, benevolent, just, perhaps hating of sin, etc. And so way back in the beginning when he first made us, he made us to be like him. 
We rebelled against him and you had the moral ruin of the human race. Romans teaches all about that. And now he comes over here and he says, even the things that are happening in your life, I still want you to be conformed to the image of my son. So everything that he's doing is to help me to become more Christ-like. Now, what I don't have time to go through again, and you've got to go through this, while I'm teaching you about the victorious Christian life, there are at least three passages in this one chapter alone that deals with, here it is, the suffering of believers. Which now I believe that the more I'm like Christ, the more I'm going to suffer. Because scripture says, if I live godly, I'll suffer persecution. So really my life doesn't mean the more I yield to the Lord, the happier I get. It doesn't mean the more I give to the Lord, maybe joy I'll have, true, but not happy from happy happening is what I'm trying to say. It does mean, though, that the more I yield to the Lord, more of the avalanche of junk is going to come on me. I've been reading an, an old book that was written in the uh, 80s by a family named Hefley. What they did is they've done this tremendous study of just the China Inland missionaries who died in the Boxer Revolution. I told you a little bit about this. I'm reading chapter after chapter after chapter of the first-hand accounts of missionaries like our missionaries or like the person seated next to you who's in a foreign country that are there eating dirt, living in dirt, loving the people, giving them the gospel, only to have rabble-rousers come along, grab them all up, put them in a huddle, and begin to chop their heads off, letting the mothers watch them chop the heads off of their children, watching their wives being raped right in front of them, and yet all of them are still saying, to the glory of God that we can still suffer for His name's sake, and screaming out the gospel as they were writhing in pain. Missionary after missionary. What would drive them to do that? So they can go to heaven? They can work their way to heaven? Man, I'd have given up a long time ago. What did it is because they knew they were going to heaven. They did it because they knew they were going to heaven. This was their hell. And so that's why you have eternal security. Not that I've got to keep it. He keeps it. And if he does, man, I can do anything for him because I'm going to heaven. And that's why miscalculation. And our, our life now is a life with purpose. Let's go to number five. Number five. Our life is a life without intimidation. Without intimidation. Um, I don't know what voices you're going to hear from people... Uh, I don't mean secret weird voices like these people do and then shoot up a mob of people. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the voices that you might hear that will begin to denigrate you because of your faith in Christ. I don't know why they bring this late night comedian to our island on New Year's Eve and people pay money to hear this guy pontificate about the most godless value system and opinions that he has. I will fight for his right, for his freedom of speech to say that and his right to be able to say all of that just as much as I want him to fight for my right to say that he needs Christ as his Savior desperately and he needs him now, right now. But I'm not going to be intimidated by that person. If I was called right now to speak in front of the University of Hawaii and I got up there and I did the very best I could with my little weak presentation of whatever I know about God and apologetics and all of that and they threw rocks at me and they screamed about my God and my belief and my church do you know what I'd still get back into my car and I'd still have the joy of knowing that I'm saved and I'm going to heaven and no matter what they say can never take away from me what I believe so I don't need to be intimidated look at verse 31 what then shall we say to these things all of that, in other words, all the things we go through, all the suffering we go through, all the things that happen to us, and we still are becoming more and more like Christ. What can we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Right in your margin. No one. If God's for us, who's against us? He's already proved that he's for us. Who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over to the cross for us all. 
how will he not also with him freely give us all things? If he gave, I like to say it this way, if, if he can give you eternal life, he can give you a hamburger. So you never have to worry about starving to death. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? In other words, you can yell at God's elect. that The elect would be the children of God. That would be you and me, part of God's forever family. Who will bring a charge against us? I don't care who charges us. They can say, Stan, you're not saved. I can look you in the face and say, yes, I am. How do I know that I'm saved? Not because I feel like I'm saved. Not because I think that I'm saved. I know that I'm saved because here, it says it right here. So you're charging me, but you're really charging the Lord. And you can't do that. Now what? This will shock you. Right now, while we're here today, I want you to know that Satan is up before God, Christ, and he is giving railing accusations about us to Jesus Christ. Scripture says that in Revelation. Jesus is basically shooting right back to Satan and saying this, say all that you want, but everything that you're saying is true. Yep, Stan does have problems here. Yep, that lady has problems there, and that person does this. They've got, they've got some good stuff, but they've got some issues over here. But remember this, Satan. I died on the cross once and for all. It was a done deal. Satisfied God. It's all in the past. It's thrown into the sea of forgiveness. It's the far away as the east is from the west. So Satan, you have no mark on this guy. You can't charge him for anything because I've already taken that and I paid his sin debt for him. So you're seated today having the greatness of Christianity that the world doesn't have. And it's not because of anything we've ever done. We don't deserve any of this. Goes back to the passage and says, it's God who justifies us. I don't justify myself. I don't do it by doing good works. Who is the one who condemns us? Well, a lot of people might, but no one can legitimately condemn us. So no one condemns us. Christ Jesus who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Get your pencils ready. There's four things in this one passage to show why I'm not intimidated. Why am I not condemned? Because Jesus who died, that's number one, he died. When he died, he satisfied all the sin that I've ever done and everybody else's sin once and for all. So that's taken away. That's gone. Yes, rather, who was raised. So he just didn't die, and that's the end of it, like a dead animal sacrifice. He raised, he was raised again to show that the payment for sin satisfied God the Father. So there was raised again the power of the resurrection. Number three, who was at the right hand of the Father, which means now he is celebrating the glories of God in a special place of holiness with the Father. And it says, who also intercedes for us. And that's what I wanted you to see. Who also intercedes for us. I don't know what kind of a Bible you have, but you might want to run a line from verse 34 to verse 27 in the passage, because in 26 and 27, it talks about the Spirit that is praying, interceding for us. And here, in verse 34, it talks about Christ interceding for us. Can you all give me a couple minutes, because I've got to finish this chapter, but this is really rich what I'm about to tell you. A lot of people hear and read the word intercede. Sometimes when you hear the word intercede, it's like someone comes in and represents you in your place. When Christ did, he was doing two things. He was representing God to us as the giver of eternal life through Christ. And he was representing you and me as a sinner to to God the Father when he died on the cross. And this gets really cool. Intercession means that all of our sin that we've ever done ourselves was put on Christ when Christ died on the cross. I'll make some uh, teachings on this next couple of weeks. But all of that was put on Christ. All right. So he interceded for me. So all my sin became his sin by virtue of my sin when he died on the cross to satisfy the penalty for sin before Almighty God. Now, that being said, that's what intercession is. So now when it says the Spirit intercedes for us and Christ intercedes for us, he's talking to the Father. Here's what's really going on. This is what gets important. If Jesus took all my sin on himself and that satisfied the payment so that I could have eternal life, 
Now what he's doing, he's taking all of my hurts, hang-ups, all the issues that I'm going through, all the suffering that I'm going through, all the doubts and all the things that just don't make sense to me. He puts all of that that's on, on me. He takes it on him. So now he is like owning all of my problems and he's now taking it to God the Father. That's what you and I have as Christians. And that's what you and I have because he keeps us safe. We are in his forever family. seen a lot of parents go to bat for their kids and when you watch them play sports, don't you? Even though the kid's done something wrong. Jesus loves us that much. So with the Lord, there's no intimidation because we have protection. Let's go to number six, a life without limitation. I talked about this a moment ago, but I have to go back to it. So go back to verse 34. It's a life without limitation. There's no limits. Whatever need I have, God can take care of it, whether it's an emotional need, a spiritual need, a physical need. If I have that need and it's a need that he wants to meet, he can do that. Verse 32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. So that means if you're seated out there now and you're saying, I'm too bad to be saved, forget it. He delivered Christ over for you. If you think you don't deserve it, for you, for every single one, whatever your ethnic background, male or female, no matter what you've done or will do, God the Father gave His Son to the cross on your behalf for everyone. Then it says this, How will He also not with Him... See the phrase, freely give us all things? That phrase, freely give, is a very unusual word because that word in the Greek can be found in other translated portions of the New Testament that doesn't say freely give. It translates it this way, forgiven. So we could say, how can God, who gave his only son, not with him, freely forgive us all sin? Isn't that cool? So that means that no matter what sin you've done, it still is powerful because your sin is not as great as the gift of grace that God gives to you through his son. You catch that? So there's a phrase I like to use. You might want to write this in your margin and really help you to understand the goodness of God. You might say this. You see Christ, he forgives and he gives. He forgives and he gives. Now let's add something else to it. You and I are never more like Christ than when we're forgiving and when we're giving. We are never more Christ-like when we can look at the people who hurt us and then put them in the position they were in before they hurt us by forgiving them. We're never more like Christ when we keep on giving and keep on giving, keep on giving because whatever we have came from the Lord anyway and if I give too much, don't worry about it. God will give it back to me because that's what God does because he's never more forgiving and giving than it's in the person of his son. So again, there's no limitations. That means that we are always having provision. And the last one is this. It is a life without separation. Just to know that we're not separated from the Lord. Let's look at it, verse 35. It picks up at verse 35 and it says, And who will separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing will. Nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. He loved us on the cross when he died. We see that in Romans 5, 8. But here, he continues to love us. Will tribulation? No. Distress? No. Persecution? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? No. Or peril or sword? I've already given you stories about that. Can any of this separate you from the love of Christ? No. Then dips back into the Old Testament and he says, quoting scripture here, For your sake, Lord, we are being put to death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. In other words, here we're were back then believers in the coming Jehovah, Messiah, that would die and pay for sin. They're saying, we're doing all this, we're living for you, and we are being slaughtered like this. But now verse 37 says, but in all these things, we're not going to be separated. We are overwhelmingly conqueror through him who loved us. 
loved us on the cross, loves us today. But in all these things, no matter what we go through, verse 35, 36, we are more than conquerors who loved us. Now, some of you, that word overwhelmingly conquer, it might help you. Have you been following the March Madness? How many have been following March Madness? Anybody been following? I don't follow it very much except some of the, just a little bit. I haven't seen any of the games. I haven't even seen a replay, just little ads. I've watched some teams where that they have won to get into the final four, I think, by one basket. I don't know. What was the team that did that this year? What was the team? I forget what team. One team won by one basket to get into the final four. And then I look at those who really cream the other team. It doesn't matter whether it's by, by one basket or a lot of points. But when I look at it this way, when you are more than a conqueror, you're a conqueror if you win by one basket. But you're more than a winner if you do it by a lot more baskets. And what the Lord is saying to us is, you just didn't get over the line. Eek. He's saying, you are more than conquerors. You're a super conqueror through him, through Christ, not through your own ability. And so whatever you have, I want you to know that's a little tiny issue in your life. A sin, a problem, a hurt, a hang-up, a habit. But you are more than conquerors, first of all, if you trust Christ as Savior so that the Spirit dwells within you. And now with that power... You yield to that power, and it is his power that makes you more than a conqueror to him. And nothing separates you from that love that he has for you. Let's go a little bit further, and we'll be done. For I am convinced, underline that, Paul just isn't one of those preachers that gets up there and rattles through a bunch of information. He says, I am convinced. He's like, guys, get this, what I'm telling you. I am absolutely 100% convinced that neither death nor life, those are two extremes, no matter what you go through with death or whatever you go through in life, I don't care what it is, nothing will separate you from the Lord. Then he goes on to say, nor angels, as if an angel could, and we know that angels can't, or principalities, which now will be the demonic field right there, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers of any kind, whether they're earthly rulers, no matter what the world does to you, death, life, angels, principalities, powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. Now, you want to underline that. Now, many of you have other parts of that underlined, but you want to say, nor any other thing created will be able to separate us from the love of God. Who? Who are these people? Those who are in Christ Jesus the Lord. Now you're going to ask this. Why would I put down, nor any other created thing? Look up here and we'll close. I wanted to emphasize that because I wanted you to know that you probably theologically can think, okay, nothing can separate me from the love of God. I know, I know no matter what happens, nothing can separate me from the love of God. But then you come to the point and you think, but I can separate me from the love of God. There are people that will tell you that I can say I don't want to be saved any longer. If you truly, authentically trusted Christ as your Savior, you might have a bad hair day. You might have a bad hair moment and say, I don't believe the Lord right now. But that's why in Timothy it says that even when we believe not, He, God, abides faithful because He cannot deny Himself because He's promised us that. So you know what? Nothing can separate you from the love of God. So when you have a bad time in your life and you've got some doubts, don't feed those doubts. When you've got those doubts, you need to say, i got these doubts, but I need to get these doubts resolved. And go to someone who will show you the word of God that will guide you through overcoming those doubts. But if you keep doubting those, you're going to have analysis by paralysis in your life. And eventually you will lose the joy. You won't lose your salvation. You will lose the joy. So nothing, not even you, can separate yourself from the love of God. So at that moment, when you're laying in bed at night and you're scrambling your mind with wondering, where am I, who am I, where am I going? Oh, oh man, this is so heavy. I want you to shout out, nothing separates me from God's love. If you do that, you'll be assured in the fact that God loves you no matter what. 
I have to tell you, if nobody else loves you, if your mate leaves you, your kids don't come home at night, if your boss has made all these promises to fraud you, God still loves you. So don't look at the circumstances. Look at the God who saved you through Christ. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Oh, folks, I just gave this mountain peak truths today. There's so much in here. The Lord says that he will never leave us nor forsake us so we can boldly say the Lord is my helper. So if he can never leave us nor forsake us, nothing can separate you from him. Then why aren't you saying the Lord is my helper? And if he is, don't you know the Lord is right there in you and through the exchange life, he will then live that life out and you can share your faith. You can say no to the addiction that you have. You can say no to the temptation of moral impurity. You can say no to letting your mind get angry and bitter because someone has defrauded you. You can say no to greed and that uh, poison that causes us to abandon families and principles for the almighty dollar when there's nothing almighty about the dollar. Now money isn't the problem. It's the love of it that becomes the problem. And sometimes it's what we do with it becomes a problem. But money of itself is not. So nothing separates you from the Lord. So with Him, you're without int- imitation, uh, limitation, so you have God's provision. You're out without separation because you are permanently, forever, sealed by a God who loves you. Now those of you that are wanting this type of of faith. The door is wide open. There's lights flashing with arrows saying you've got to go through this door. It is not the door of good works. It is not the door of religion. It's not the door of your own man-made, personally made philosophy of life. There's only one door and it's Jesus Christ. It's not doing what he did to go to heaven. It's believing what he did that gets you into heaven. It's believing that Jesus is God in the flesh who died and rose again on the cross. It is believing that Jesus says, He that believes on me has everlasting life. You need now in your own heart to place your faith alone in Christ. Don't come to Him with anything else to get saved or to stay saved. It is in Christ alone that saves you. Please do this. There is no other way to heaven. There is no other solution to your problems. There's no more books out there that you've got to read to figure all this stuff out. You've got the Spirit of God that'll help you. You've got the Word of God that's on your lap. You've got people of God that'll come alongside you to mentor you and disciple you. You have everything right there for you to enjoy what God has already provided for you in Christ. But you now have to activate your will and place your faith alone in Christ. The Spirit of God is already there. You're sensing it right now. That's him working on you. Part of his eternal plan. So simply say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve any of this stuff, but I'm going to receive the forgiveness from you so I can have eternal life. And I'm going to say thank you for that. I'm coming to you by faith alone. Now, if you're doing that, I'd like to pray for you. And I'm not going to have you just come forward or stand up or any of that. I- I'm going to pray for you. But remember, my prayer for you won't get you into heaven. But I am going to pray for you. And I'd like to pray for you if you... For the person today that's ready to trust Christ. So if today is the day you're placing your faith alone in Christ, and you'd like me to pray for you, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand. Now you're going to put it up, put it down. You don't say anything. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to mention your name in my prayer. I'm not going to describe you. But I want to take what you've just done with Jesus and the Spirit. 
as an intercessor for you. Not pleading with God to save you, but celebrating with God because he did save you the moment you trusted Christ as your Savior. Is there anyone in here today that says, I'm ready. Today's the day. I want this Christianity at its finest. I need this Christianity at its finest. And I'm coming to Christ of Christianity right now. Would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone at all with an uplifted hand that's ready to trust Christ? Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you now that nothing will separate us from your love, and that's a promise. And Father, we don't go on feeling because your word says it and it's becoming a fact. And since it's a fact now, Father, we're going to live it as if it's true because it is. And so, Lord, thank you for revealing this by your spirit to Paul, having him then send a letter to the people at Rome, the Christians, 2,000 years ago, having it recorded and preserved for 2,000 years in accuracy and inerrancy, that we would now have it before us so your spirit can take the truth of your word to our heart that we can walk out of here rejoicing in the victory we have in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.